0: Welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 360. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. Today, I'm so excited to dive into a conversation all about active allyship and why being a good ally, especially as it relates to gender equality at work, is really just a leadership skill and an essential leadership skill for all of us to cultivate. Today, I'm sitting down to talk with David Smith, PhD, who is the co-author of the new book, Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace, as well as being an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. As a sociologist trained in military sociology and social psychology, he focuses his research in gender work and family issues including gender bias in performance evaluations, dual career families, also known as just the average family (laughs) nowadays, military families, women in the military, and retention of women. He's the co-author of another book, Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, and numerous journal articles and book chapters that focus on gender and the workplace. David, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast.
1: Thanks, Emily. Great to be here.
0: So when we were first getting to know each other, you told me a little bit about your origin story and how you first got interested in the world of gender equality and gender politics. And it had to do with your time way back at the Naval Academy and who you happened to meet there. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, happy to. My, you know, my time in the 80s at the Naval Academy uh, Is where I met my, my partner, my wife. And, you know, the 80s was a time when we were first integrating women into the service academies and into the military more broadly. And it was an interesting time to, again, for the first time in my life, be in an environment where I wasn't part of a 50 50, you know, an even uh, more parity based organization. Um, and to see how, in many ways, discrimination was very overt at the time. Mm. Not 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 today so much in the overt part of it, but but to see that and to really feel that sense, you know, especially for for somebody that I cared deeply about, um, to see how it affected her, and 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 mm-hmm. it would even rub off on me, come back to me in, in different ways. But you know, so that was my first experience with it. Of course, you know, as we graduated and were off on our careers and you know parallel career paths and the Navy, that uh, we of course had lots of. Of uh discussions and talks about our experiences at work and to see how hers in many ways were so very different from mine. And, and it was really eye-opening uh to, to see mm. the barriers, the headwinds that she faced that I never experienced. I never saw, and and certainly never saw for myself, but I never saw for others either that I worked with and the mm. other women that I worked with. And so for me it was eye-opening in the sense that one, it was happening to somebody that I cared about, but also. I go back and look at my own workplace and see, hmm, where is this happening here? And could start to yeah. see some of that. And so again, it broadened, you know, my awareness in a, in a very significant and I think life-altering way. Something that I started to pay attention to, you know, throughout my career. So that was kind of the beginning back in the back in the '80s. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting as a a Navy family member myself, my brother was a nuclear submariner. We think that what you're describing is long in the rearview mirror or in Mm -hmm. our history, but my brother joined the submarine force, I want to say in like the mid to late 2000s. And women still were not allowed on submarines until after he, uh, you know, exited the his time as an enlisted member of the military. So there's still parts of our military, not to mention many, many boardrooms in corporate America that, you know, we think we're farther ahead than we are in so many places when it comes to full integration uh, across the gender spectrum, aren't we? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think we, we see, again, Uh, Lots of the policy and law has changed, of course, and the the industry and the profession uh, so that, again, all of this very overt discrimination is no longer legal. But that doesn't Mm. mean that the implementation, the practice of these policies, how they're implemented still allows room for this is where bias creeps in and we can still have a lot of these systemic uh, gender inequities is just one of them. There are there are many others, of course, out there too, yeah. beyond just gender. But they are systemic in the in the sense that they they're they're found in our everyday practices, and they continue to perpetuate themselves.
0: Right. Sometimes without any malicious intent. More often without any malintent, Right. So I want to talk specifically about the latest book that you and Brad Johnson put out called Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the workplace. I think the discussion around active allyship is such an important one, and one that here at Boss Step we talk a lot about: how women can advocate for ourselves, how we can advocate for the kinds of support and allyship we need. And what's interesting is that you're really addressing a male audience in this book. You're almost acting as an ambassador, right? You having listened to women uh, and, and sort of translating what women say they need and what the research says we could really use to, to a male audience. So for my audience here at Bossed Up, which is predominantly women listeners, I think a lot of us don't understand what the hell the holdup is. Like, what is keeping men on the sidelines at all? So I wonder if you could frame, sort of set the stage for us as to why a book like this is necessary and why men aren't already – diving into the conversation and being active allies in the quest for gender equity.
1: Yeah. And this is what we like to think of as the the allyship gap, right? The the mm. idea that, you know, and it's no surprise maybe to your listeners out there that most of the men that they know would tell them that they believe in gender equity. And honestly, right, they, they do believe in equality and in equity. Um, but if that's the case, then why aren't we? Why aren't we... Why is it going to take, you know, 212 years to reach, you know, the gender parity or eliminate the gender wage gap for us out there? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons for it. Um, you know, one is that we as humans, we, we tend to overestimate how much we're really doing or how effective maybe our actions are in terms of mm. accomplishing what we intend them to do. And so there is a bit of an overestimation. And we see that in the research uh, with allyship in terms of what men think they're doing and the mm. actual impact it's having, what women tell us you know, how much of a difference it's making. So there is that. There's another part that's really about awareness. And I think everybody's heard the old adage, you know, it's really hard to fix problems you can't see or don't understand. And, and that's not an excuse, but that but that is part of the challenge, right? That we have to develop awareness of how people who are different from us experience the world mm. differently. And so, if I don't understand, I don't see, I don't have a connection to seeing the problem and understanding it. It's really hard to put things in place to do that. Yeah. And I think a lot of us would like to press the "I believe" button. That men should understand this. They should just <laughs> understand this, right? They have yeah. important women in their lives that they, I know they care about. They all have at least a mother, um, maybe a few other important women in there too, but <laughs> so why can't they see that? Why don't they understand it? And there's a variety of, you know, cultural reasons behind that too, about why they don't have yeah. an awareness of that. But, and then I think the other part is the knowing, and we heard this from a lot of male leaders, knowing, uh-huh. Right. So I want to I want to really move the needle on on creating equity in my workplace for women. What works? What are best practices? What works in my industry, my profession, yeah. my organization? What can I put into place that, you know, is really there? And again, there's lots of things that we we know do work, but there's not a one size fits all for every organization. Every organization is a little bit different. And what works in one may not work for another. And um, and but I think, you know, really committing to this and, and really yeah. making it more than just checking blocks and having nice talk and conversations, um, yeah. and getting down to keeping it action oriented and with real outcomes and results and that we can measure and see mm-hmm. that makes a difference.
0: I, I get that. One other element you spoke about in the book that I thought was really compelling but maybe maybe one that men are reticent to address is fear, right? Mm. You write, who wants to inadvertently offend someone or hurt their feelings when you have good intentions? It's easier for you to avoid taking action so you don't engage. If you're not comfortable talking about gender, women's work experiences, harassment, discrimination, or emotions in general, which we don't condition men and boys to talk about— then you'll probably avoid those conversations. So, like, what did you hear from men in terms of being afraid of dealing with gender issues at work?
1: Yeah, and, you know, this actually started with uh, the research we did for our first book, which was Athena Rising, which focused on mentoring Mm -hmm. relationships with women. And we heard starting there, and it continued on into the research we did for good guys, there are actually so many reasons that men were really reluctant to engage in relationships with women at work that we, we termed, there's mm-hmm. a chapter that we termed reluctant male syndrome um, in the in the first book <laughs> because it got to thing. So it's everything, the full range of implicit bias, right? These perceptions we have that we if we don't see somebody as being worth the investment or she's a risky investment or I don't see her as mm-hmm. real leader, leader material, I don't see her competence and value her expertise in the same way that can hold us back um, mm-hmm. but there's also again the the idea that men have some anxieties around uh, sometimes having relationships with women at work especially if right. you think about more closer relationships things like mentoring where it's a little more intimate and closer good good close peer friendships or collegial relationships um, yeah. and men told us that you know it's like hey I had a I had a man script for how to how to interact with my mom, uh, how to maybe mm-hmm. interact with my sister. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, maybe
1: if you're partnered with a woman with the wife and maybe even today I have a daughter, but nobody ever gave me a social script to follow, you know, for right. interacting with women at work and except for some of the ones that work against us. And those are some of these ones yeah. that things, and these are notions of like chivalry, right? The knight in shining armors. Again, lots of men, Know the benevolent sexism, you know, chivalrous uh, actions of rescuing women, not no, yeah. not helpful at all. Um, and then yeah. you know, some men fall back on something very comfortable, and that's the father-daughter relationship. And
0: yeah. you know,
1: women don't need to be treated as as a man's daughter in the workplace. It gets kind of gets weird, <laughs> right? And it's undermining and disempowering. So
0: <laughs> yeah, know,
1: we have some of that. And of course, you know, today post me too, there's still research that shows that men are even less likely to engage in all sorts of relationships and interactions in the workplace with women that are really holding us back. And, and again, that's one Mm -hmm. that I think we, as men, we have to take, uh, we have to take control of that and understand that, Hey, we are the one perpetuating some of these false narratives that women are suddenly scary or dangerous to work with or cause Uh, me too, or, make false accusations about sexual harassment. No, sorry. There's no research, anything that backs any of that up whatsoever. Yeah, Um, It's really about resetting here on what Me Too was about. Women want to come to work and not be harassed or assaulted. It's a really low bar for dudes to get over.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Amen. Uh, I I love that. I think it's, Easier said than done when there isn't a social script, not not one in pop culture. We don't see movies where there's like a collegial relationship between men and women supporting one another. We just don't have that public narrative in our culture. And that not only creates that inner hesitancy, it also raises eyebrows when it happens. So I think you're right to sort of reframe the conversation as something we all need to be a part of shifting by just not being – terrible in the context of those relationships, right? Like the more we see productive, healthy, mutually respectful mentorship relationships or even just collegial relationships between men and women, the more we can rewrite that narrative. Um, I was going to say, it's,
1: it's really interesting. You know, the solution to this anxiety aspect around relationships you know, if Brad was here as the clinical psychologist, he'd tell you that there's only one solution, and that's exposure therapy, right? So that's mm. more interactions, right? And to yeah. so help us become normalized these and get over our anxiety around these. But uh, again, we don't we don't have anything kind of pushing, right, to to create that to happen.
0: Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if we're trending in the wrong direction. I'm not a social scientist per se, but I do recall reading some research about gen z even just dating relationships um across the world being on the decline (laughs) like men and women taking less interest in each other generally speaking you know but i don't know i think gen z is also going to be the generation to do away with the gender binary that we've been talking about anyway so maybe there's freedom in that Anyway, I'm not here to sort of project and and sort of theorize, uh, but I am interested in how you've how you've really in this book reframed gender equity as a cause to get behind, not because it's the good thing or the right thing morally to do, but as a leadership and strategic imperative. Because I've always found that that messaging around like appealing to men's altruism, mm-hmm. like he for she, to be a little off, you know, like being a male ally is doing someone a favor or being a good mentor is somehow this one way generous, like generosity thing, as opposed to being of mutual benefit. So you write about zero sum thinking as it relates to this endeavor. Like, what does that mean? And how are you seeing gender equality as something way more than men being nice to women?
1: Yeah. And, and zero sum thinking is something. Is really something that we are experiencing more of today, and, and I, and I kind of liken it to—if you think about it—as a kind of a modern-day sexism. It's a sense that, oh, we're we're beyond gender relations and you know integrating women and advancing women. I mean, we've that was so you know back in the '90s or whatever, right? That yeah. and, and the reality is that we we haven't. We made progress up through about the year 2000, but uh, since then have largely stagnated. And men, again, I think there's also a little bit, and again, a lot of us who work in the in the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, maybe mm. it's our own fault for some of the messaging becoming stale or stagnant or just we've over, you know, just overblown it too far. But yeah. uh, but for men really to understand that, no, there's more to do here, but, and this is not just about advancing women. It is, right? This right. is about leveling the playing field. But at the end of the day, we we tend to think of that, you know, from a zero sum perspective. Well, if you know if Emily gains, somehow I'm gonna lose in that whole yeah. That's the whole it's a fixed, you know, fixed size pie and you got your bigger slice and I'm gonna get a smaller slice. And and that's not the way it works. And and once you show the research on how it works as we begin to shift and change the culture and we do make it more equitable for everyone. And, and, oh, by the way, if you do this from a gender perspective, it tends to change mm-hmm. the culture in a way that affects everyone, right? So not just a gender, mm-hmm. but also from, a, you think about it from other dimensions of diversity in the workplace, You mm. begin to question and think about practices very differently now. Mm. You know, everybody gains. The organization becomes more successful, and the business case around this you know, has been, the research is just all over now, and I think people really understand the, how your organization and your team becomes better. And so if you're a leader of a team, as a man, yeah. you become, you know, engaged in doing this work and make it more equitable for everyone. Your team's going to do better, and, and oh, by the way, it changes the dynamics. It makes it more. Again, we, we tend to find that people start to become more relational, and so we're leaders tend mm. to lead a little more with things like authenticity and humility and vulnerability and. Right. And so we, and and becoming more inclusive of other people's ideas and it really changes the environment we work in such that everybody enjoys it. It's more fun. Yeah, It's a great place to work and and people want to work there. And you become a, you become known as a team or an organization where people want to go there and it really changes Mm. the game for all of us. And I think once people understand that part, that really changes how we it, oh, well, this is about advancing women or making things more equitable. But it's also, this is good for everybody, everything, including me. Right. We're all going to win when it comes to this. So I think that's, and that helps us to come overcome some of that zero-sum thinking as well.
0: Yeah. It, you know, I hate to use too many uh Nautical metaphors with a naval officer here, but the idea that a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Like that if you design a workplace where anyone can thrive, regardless of gender, race, age, class, whatever, we all do better and we create systems and structures where we can excel regardless of where we're starting from. I think that's a really hard concept for folks with privilege to accept, right? Whether it's male privilege or white privilege or what have you, it it does feel like a direct threat. Leveling the playing field can feel like a threat if you've historically been given an advantage. So how do you Mm -mm. overcome that pushback, that insecurity? I don't know. Like, Is there a way to, to... quell that fear for people who feel like they're, they're losing, they're on the Mm -hmm. losing end of this whole equitable endeavor.
1: Yeah. I just about jumped out of my skin when you used the P word there. Um, privilege. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) because it is, we find that it's a a bit of a, it can be a bit of a triggering, uh, word for people who have privilege and, and it makes them very uncomfortable. And and again, this is one of those things that, um, back to great leadership and great you know, strategic leadership at a very senior level, we know that leaders who – it's not that they become comfortable with the topic. They they really be, they kind of get in touch with where they are on it, and they're more comfortable being uncomfortable with it and recognizing that, mm. let me just sit with this for a minute. It'll be all right. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and then finding ways to talk about it that, again, back to the humility, back to the authenticity – that people, it really resonates and connects with, with others who, who, again, you influenced these other leaders and managers of that frozen middle that we're often trying to move. And when they hear you, for example, if you can communicate your why, and mm-hmm. as I, you know, as I, I gave you part of mine early at the, b- the very beginning, yeah. I was motivated to do this work. And um, people are interested in that, especially the more senior you are as a leader. And if you're a majority, yeah. you know, Person in that uh, leadership position, they're even more interested in why you're, you know, you're doing this work.
0: Yeah, give them your
1: personal narrative. Give them your story. Everybody has one, Ooh. and and yes. the more you can make it yours and really share it with folks the more it connects with them. And they're like, okay, I get it. Now I totally get what where he's coming from. Now the trick is make sure that you connect it back into the everyday business outcomes of what your organization does. So whatever your P&L is, you know, in terms of how you make money or how you accomplish mission, mm-hmm. connect that personal narrative right back in there. Because again, The middle managers, the frontline managers who are, again, implementing policy and and everyday practices that are creating these challenges, they've got Mm. a lot of things on their plate. Everybody's really busy. And if this isn't something that I know, one, is important to my boss and, two, um, is connected to making me better or more effective and more efficient, Mm. I'm probably going to find other things to do with my time. I've gotta worry about this yeah. and that and other things. So finding ways to motivate people, right? To to show them that this is important. Mm. This is important to your success and how yeah. it fits the organization, I think, really makes a difference.
0: I think that's interesting because I love personal narrative work. I'm obsessed with storytelling as a, as a mm. subject matter here at Boston. Up. We've got tons of podcasts on that topic that we'll link to in today's show notes. Yeah. And I did a um, fellowship at the Kennedy School with Marshall Gans all about organizing people, power, and change. He studies personal storytelling and public narratives. So we're speaking the same language here. But when it comes to allyship and equity and the pursuit of transformational leadership at work, like it can feel like an add-on task. Mm-hmm. It can feel like an afterthought as opposed to the KPIs that you're driving towards. And there are a lot of leaders who listen to this podcast you know, who think, yeah, 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 that's the right thing to do. I should definitely be doing more on that. Um, but first, I got to drive results. And in your book, I really like the last section, the third section on systemic allyship because you essentially say good leadership, good business operations create systems for transparency and accountability, Mm. and that is a part of how we drive equity further. And I think that's so interesting that so much of what we're doing at Bossed Up lately, so many podcast conversations I've been having lately are all about clarity, transparency, and accountability. I want to just briefly quote um, what you quoted in this section of the book from uh, Iris, is it Bonnet? Bonnet Maybe. Yeah. Bonnet. Maybe Bonnet? Bonnet, French? Okay. Uh, in her 2016 book, What Works Gender e- Gender Equality by Design, she finds three factors that are pivotal in designing organizations to effectively reduce gender bias and discrimination clarity, transparency, and accountability. What does that mean to you? And how does that relate to allyship?
1: Yeah, and so that first part, the, the clarity, is that strategic messaging, right? how are you delivering that message and are you doing it in a way that's that's really connecting with your people that they they, mm. they buy into it because if it's not authentic you don't have the personal narrative right to go with it it's yeah. just blah 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 blah, right? It's, it's another <laughs> like, re- why
0: do you care? Essentially, yeah, is that it's what a you're saying?
1: Standard yeah. version of you're just spewing the company, the company line, the party line on that, right? Yeah. Make people care about it. Show them that you care about it, and and that clarity of message is is so important as you're trying to really get people's attention on why they should be involved in. It. The transparency and accountability are, and mm. you know, actually all three of these, underlying all of them, you're really, you're, what you're trying to do is develop trust in your organization. And, mm. and so trust in a variety of different ways. And it might be trust with people that you're trying to bring on board and make them better leaders and allies. Yeah. And other people that um, maybe they are some of the disenfranchised, right? They are the minoritized people who are feeling the effects of this every day. And again, you want to build trust with them and you, Again, you can't just be a lot of nice words and women are wonderful and they're great to work with. Okay, <laughs> great. Show me what I you I love do. women. I know. Right? Women yeah. are wonderful in fact. It's, it's, it is a real thing, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't drive trust, right? And I want to see you walk the talk and show me. Show me what you're doing. So transparency internal to the organization is all about, okay, I hear what you're saying. Now I, now I want to see what you're doing. And and Again, too many organizations are really hush-hush about this, and it's all behind closed doors, and we don't talk about it. And it's like, no, you need to be the opposite direction. You need to be very Mm. loud and clear about what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how well you're doing at it. Um, Even to the point where hopefully managers of different teams and units in the organization are – they're looking at each other because you're so transparent that it's up on the dashboard. And yeah. I said, "Oh, well, marketing's doing really well, but sales, uh, yeah, not so much. Um, you got some work to do over there." And and that breeds also. There might be a little competition, but there can also be a sharing of best practices. Of hey, what are you doing yeah. over there in marketing that's working so well? I and mean, how can I employ that over here in sales? Right. And mm-hmm. so we begin to share, and we and we develop that way. So that internal transparency and it builds that trust with your people that, hey, I know why you're doing it, what you're doing. And I know that, hey, we're not perfect. I don't expect you to get it exactly right. Right. But you're being honest and authentic with me about what you're doing. It also builds, if you publicly disclose this information, and of course, there are more laws uh, in different countries and states today requiring some of this disclosure. Other companies are choosing to do it on their own, again, as part of, Mm -hmm. again, probably part of their ESG, their environmental uh, social governance strategy that they have.
0: To jump in here for just a moment, when we talk yeah. about metrics for success around uh, DEI, what mm-hmm. kinds of numbers are you talking about?
1: That's a great question, and you know, and, and this is another one where it's not a one size fits all. So it, to me, sure. you know, one of the first questions I'm looking at in an organization is, all right, so what are you trying to accomplish? What what is it you're trying? What, what would you like to see? What would success look like for your company and So for a lot of companies, it tends to be around some of the big picture issues around retention. It might be around advancement. It might be uh, it could be hiring. Uh, Again, a lot of tech firms and STEM related organizations, they have a lot of challenges with hiring. Um, And so it really kind of depends which of those. And those are long term outcomes that we're looking at. Take time to measure those right to see change happen. Um, there are other things you can be doing on a more regular basis and there again we tend to have an HR or different parts of the organization you might be measuring different things in engagement uh, in terms of how you're engaging your population of, of workers out there and things like organizational commitment uh, and organizational identity are ways that we can begin to see very quick shifts and changes because these, these relate to trust in the organization. Yeah.
0: Which also relates to bottom line success, right? So that I can hear yeah. the business case underlying the moral one. So it's just a good reminder of how connected those two are. Interesting. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, briefly around authenticity mm. and how important it is to talk the talk, but also to walk the walk. And it reminds me of the point you bring up early on in the book. Again, speaking to men is you wrote... Nothing delegitimizes your ally brand so quickly as slinging on the ally cape to impress women at work while not fully supporting your partner at home. And I cackled thinking about... (laughs) you know, the progressives uh, who are so progressive when it comes to gender equality and inclusion at work and are like, what? I cook on the weekends. Like, what's the big deal? I didn't see the laundry on the floor right by the laundry basket. What's the big deal? And how, you know, so many of of myself and and women in general are doing still twice the amount of housework and childcare than our male uh, partners are doing if we live in that kind of a household. Mm -hmm. What is what is the quest for gender equality going to take when it comes to starting at home? And ha- why is starting at home so important? I know this is an area of a special focus for you now, uh, working on a book specifically around how this mm-hmm. happens. So, what is it going to take to get men to do their fair share at home?
1: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. We're we're up against a lot of things here, and, and certainly the in the in the public sphere, right, the, the workplace. Um, People talk a good game sometimes, but then when they go home, you know, <laughs> if we don't change things in the private sphere that feeds into the public. We're never completely going to get there, or we're certainly not going to get there as fast as we yeah. like to. And and recognizing again a lot of how traditional gender roles, the way we've we've looked at those, and thinking about traditional ideologies around that, about what what men and women should do or can do or ought to do or are naturally Mm. good at is another way that we often hear it talked about. Um, But the fact is that we find, you know, that men today, especially as you think about Gen Z and the millennial generation kind of got us kickstarted on this whole thing, um, Mm. are really putting the pressure on in the workplace today. And we, we find that, again, the research shows us clearly that, you know, attitudes as they're as we measure them and they're leaving their families and going into the workplace are becoming much more egalitarian in terms of thinking about how we're going to combine work and work and life, work and family. Uh, But then you run into a very traditional workplace, right? We're Mm. very structured in a way that expectations around ideal worker norms that, no, no, you have to, I know it says you have to, you're supposed to work 40 hours a week, but we expect you to really work 80 hours a week. And, oh, by the way, if we wanted you to have a family, we would have given you one. And, uh, right? There's all these traditional ideas that we face and and it's really challenging. And, but if we don't start changing things at home, right? So if men start to level the playing field and have these, these conversations about how can I be more equitable at home with their partner? Mm. Um, you know, we, we tell men, Hey, if you're not sure, even if you think you are doing it, (laughs) eh, check in with your partner tonight and go home and see how you're doing. Do that, domestic audit. And, you know, when she mm. gives you a, a, a list of things where you could improve, don't push back, get busy and, and start doing mm. it. And it's not just the, you know, it's not just the caregiving and it's not just the domestic, you know, tasks that we have. It's also the emotional cognitive labor that go with some of that, right? So the planning, the keeping lists, the keeping track of things. And there's mm. great examples of that that can be so much, you know, again, that can be so much more debilitating than even some of the physical tasks. And we've got to do yeah. that too, and and it's really clear that it. You know, that this is helpful, obviously, for our partner's career. And again, most of us, yeah. if, you're, if you're partnered with a for the men, partnered with a woman, uh, in a heterosexual relationship, that you know, we, we find that uh, you know, your your both careers are going to advance faster and better. Right? And people, mm-hmm. and there's, again, there's all the the life satisfaction, the couple's relationship, marital yeah. satisfaction, outcomes for kids, you know, when dads are doing this. I mean, the research is so powerfully clear that, you mm-hmm. know, for our sons, when they see us doing this, they have more inclusive perspectives on, on gender roles when they get to the workplace. So, again, shifting yeah. it for the next generation and then for our daughters, you know much more likely to persist in their careers when they see their dads doing this at home because they, they see a future yeah. of how I could do this and they're going to stick around. And Not to
0: mention they have a higher bar for like who they're going to oh, date yeah. uh, and, and like <laughs> what kind of a, no garbage bag boyfriends essentially <laughs> are coming home, right? <laughs> like basically you set a bar for what to expect in a future romantic relationship. Yeah,
1: and, and it changes all those expectations, right? And even the expectations of, well, what's the realm of possible, you know, career fields yeah. that I would go into that maybe I wouldn't have thought of otherwise? So we find women more likely to go into those non-traditional professions and in industries. So if we're gonna get to more gender parity, get rid of mm. some of the again, the that occupational segregation that we find where women yeah. it's like, oh, these are women's careers or women's jobs, or these are men's jobs. You know, that's what's, again, feeding into the things like the wage gap mm-hmm. is systemic in that way. And so, again, we have an obligation to the next generation to push them yeah. forward and really begin to change things.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up because my final question for you was going to be that I, n- I couldn't help but notice as a new mom myself to a little nine-month-old boy named Max. Thank you. I could not help but notice that you and Brad dedicated this book to your sons. We did. And so I guess my, my question was going to be like, what is your hope for the world that we give to our sons, that our sons are inheriting as it relates to gender?
1: I hope that they're able to have and create the, you know, the life, you know, that balance, you know, and I don't use the word balance lightly that, you know, the, how we combine work and family in a way that is meaningful, right? It helps them to, to thrive and to really enjoy life to its fullest. And, you know, yeah. and I see that from, you know, from my own son, who's getting ready to be a father here shortly. Um, oh, wow. And, I'm exciting. You know, as we go into that next cycle uh, and thinking about, yeah. you know, even my role as a, as a caregiver again, in a different way now as a grandparent, yeah. um, that, you know, I hope that for him, that, that he'll have a world where he can do that. And the same thing for my daughter, you know, that she, you know, Gets the same opportunities in the workplace, things that aren't going to hold her back, and that she can find yeah. a partner, find that guy that's not the you know the garbage bag boyfriend, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that um, that that will make her happy, right? And we'll and we'll treat her as an equal, respected peer in the relationship that she deserves that as well.
0: Yeah, I, it is such an interesting like reminder that this is not a good thing for women. Gender equality frees us all in so many ways. Thank you. So much for spending some time with me here on the podcast. I feel like for all the women listening, it is a hundred times easier to just buy your book and hand it to the men in your life than to explain and go through all the labor of explaining to the men around us, how to be better allies, that, that is what I'm going to do to my Brad, my husband, Brad, uh, probably leave this on his bedside table tonight, uh, for him to thumb through himself. But where can our listeners learn more about you and the great work that you, David and your co-author Brad are doing?
1: And they can go, uh, if you, Go to workplace Allies. that's all one word, uh, .com. You can find the latest on what we're doing, what we're writing about, and all the things that we've, we've got going on, and maybe even some teasers here soon on uh, the next book that we're, we're really excited and we're working on now.
0: Very cool. I'll drop that link in today's show notes. And thank you so much again for diving into this with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for including me. For more details and links to everything we discussed on today's episode, head to bossup.org/episode360. That's bossup.org/episode360. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Hey, boss up! This is Lily from Los Angeles, and I just wanted to share with you all my recent boss move that I was promoted to my first ever senior position a senior marketing and communications manager, and received a 15% raise with that. I got this job with the help of Boss Up's Hired program, and I really am so grateful for everything that you all do. So thank you. Congratulations, boss. And thank you so much for sharing your boss move. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share your come up story. So if you've got a boss move to share, I want to hear from you. Head to the link in today's show notes to schedule an interview with me so I can get to hear your incredible boss move of the week for inclusion on an upcoming episode. Or you can always call it in and leave me a voicemail at the Bossed Up Podcast hotline 910-668 boss or two six seven seven until next time keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together let's lift as we climb